1: Let me, let's, I'm gonna get out of the way here because we all came to learn from this next leader. Um, I've known Shannon Stein uh, for 10 years now, Shannon. And I was really thinking about um, how do I know Shannon? And I was in the office of charter schools and uh, there was this new leader and I was the, I was the consultant for the west side of the state. And I remember Shannon asking me a question about the School Boards Association. And I was like, I don't really know much about that. She's, well, you're supposed to be the governance guy. I don't know. I was told to be a She said, When I was in Wisconsin, like we were very engaged in school boards and driving the board. I'm like, I've been here for almost a year. And I don't think anybody's really asked me a question about school board development, right? Unless they're like saying, I don't like my board, you know? Tell me more about that. And so I ended up by like, going to a board meeting at uh, Lake Norman uh, within the last, or that next year. And what I saw was, something unique. It was uh, it was not a conversation about um, marketing colors or toilet paper or anything. It was about strategy. How are we going to strategically be the best school in this area? Now you may not know that corridor, but there's some significantly large public charter schools over there. Each of them, over a thousand students and they probably have a combined weight of 20,000 but it's the same five or 6,000 families, right? And so these legends, again, going back to here, right? There are thousands of raceway drivers, thousands, hundreds of thousands probably because there's a lot of people speeding on the road all the time. But one thing that makes a legend is they have the ability to get out of the pile. They get out of the people pile. And Lake Norman Charter, if you don't know much about it, it is way out of the pot. It is at the top of the mountain. And it's only really honestly because of everything rises and falls with leadership. And when you are an organizational leader and you can create a vision for what the top of that mountain looks like, uh, and then to leverage people, right? Leverage their resources and their talents over a 10 year span and take an organization that was pretty good to one that if you didn't see yesterday in niche.com, Lake Norman was rated number one or two in seven or eight of these amazing categories. And it's not just about academics. If you go to the webpage, you see they have a beautiful facility. Their kids and their students are always out there in the community making an impact. Um, And that just doesn't happen because of one person. It happens when you build a team, right? that has a dream to be uh, the best. So I thought inviting Shannon here would be a great opportunity for us to talk about how do you get from here to there? How, how do you create that vision? How do you build a team? How do you drive a board to talk about strategy and not toilet paper? Uh, there's only one person that I know who has actually done it in North Carolina that I see. Um, well, one and a half. You know, Jennifer sure. But you know, Shannon, and that, and that has been the difference, right? In the success of both schools. Piedmont and Lake Norman has been getting the board on, on board with talking about strategy and vision and who we want to be done that. So Shannon Stein, please you know, come up. And uh, we're so excited to have you with us. Thanks so hey. much. Yeah, that absolutely.
2: Fun. That's super fun just to come for the introduction. Um, I said to Tom, so could I just sit in the table because I'm very conversational. I like to just hang out, but but this is the appropriate thing. So I'm sorry that you guys are kind of over here and I'm over there, but um, I'm really hoping that we can just have some dialogue because um, I think my oh no one of my greatest pleasures has been um, meeting other charter leaders, right, and learning from them. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that because. I think it's really important for us to be strong charter leaders. The problem with us is as, as an institution is we're very siloed, right? And we're all kind of in, in the midst and kind of tucked in and doing what we need to do day to day to be successful. Um, and I think when Tom talks about this corridor of success, th- there's a lot of those high-performing charter leaders that we actually network with. And so I think that makes a makes a big difference. So I kind of laid out a few things, um, but what, this is what I really like. If I say something and you're like, what do you mean by that? Or can you expand on that? Or even if you have a good example, I think that's how we best learn. So I would prefer you just interrupt. There's not, it's not interrupting. It's just a dialogue. So I would prefer to do that. So um, if you can't tell, um, I am from the great state of Wisconsin. Um, You can really hear it and I could let it snap if I really wanted to like, oh sure, yeah, you betcha. Um, And I've, I've learned to tuck that away a little bit. When I first got to Charlotte, um, this will be funny for you Jennifer, people would say Wait. and I would always tell them Gastonia and they would look at me and they would just kind of you know how like a dog if it's confused would kind of look at you and I'm like yeah and then I just walk away like and like there, there's no way I'm from Gastonia but anyway um, so that was that was kind of my funny little joke is I'm like yeah we'll, we'll trick them that way so I think one of the things that brings us together and um, I think the reason people like to be charter leaders versus um, sometimes in larger LEAs, is because we have a real passion around student learning, around our missions, around making deep impact on student learning. And that's really the, the core of, of where I'm at. And what's really different, so said, talk a little bit about your leadership journey. Really strange thing about the state of Wisconsin. The state of Wisconsin has 428 school districts, and they're all open enrollment. So they're all a charter system, the entire state. You, If you are in town A and town B, and you think your kid would benefit from programs in town B, you just sign up, there's not even a lottery. You literally just sign up for open enrollment and you get to go to town B. Um, and it's similar to Charter, you're responsible for the transportation, but other than that, you have full access as long as they have availability. Otherwise it becomes a lottery. There's always availability. So that's never been a case. And so um, when I came to the state of North Carolina, there were a few charter schools in Wisconsin, but they weren't particularly necessary because everything was opener moment. And what I loved about that was it's, it's sort of this, um, you know, what we see in the open market. It, we all picked areas that we were best in. And the school I came from, before we were here, had a great band, had a great tech ed program, but it didn't have an orchestra. So if I had a kid who wanted to be an orchestra person, they went up to the, the town next to us, right? So, um, and that was just the accepted culture and education in Wisconsin. And so um, it just, to me, choice and competition and collaboration on that was just part of the fiber of of who I was. And so then I came to North Carolina and um, signed up for a charter school and Honestly, I think if I would have known prior to getting here at the kind of politics that were behind charter schools that we weren't particularly well liked, I think it's gotten better and more. I was still, when I came, that was in 2010, and we were still under the 100 cap, right? Um, and just not understanding. And and Tom's right. I literally called the Office of Charter Schools and said, hey, how do I get policy help? Because as a brand new charter, it was one of those things that you realized we're lacking because, you know, my school was started by parents. They meant well. They started, they, I, some of them mortgaged their house to get us the, the, the resources we need to get started. Um, they didn't, sorry, they put a second, you know, they basically had a lien on their home, and it was a real leap of faith, but none of them were educators and that wasn't their fault. They had a passion for good education. They were willing to put their money and the resources behind that. And so I, you know, you have this great respect for these people that are willing to step out and do that. And then, um, but, but when I first got to Lake Norman charter, it was, um, I came when the first class was seniors and I was like, this is great. I'm going to get to start this high school and have this vision because generally what happens is you inherit vision, right? You're like here, this is what you, you know, there's history here, there's this, there's that. And I just, was so um, enthused at the idea of actually getting to build something that I came. And then when I got there, I said, OK, where's your policy on fill in almost anything that's in your handbook now? Like, where's your valedictorian policy? Where's your graduation policy? Where's your? And I just kept asking, and they were like, oh <laughs> you're like, uh-oh, we got a real problem. We don't have any guiding principles. And then it becomes the wild west, right? And you have all these opinions on what it should be. And you get this real unequalness of power, like one teacher does it this way, one teacher does it that way. And while I love autonomy, there still has to be some shared vision on what things look like. So I spent that first year trying to get together and say, OK, here's a, here's a policy. And um, so I started by trying to lean into North Carolina's School Board Association. Just as a funny side note, all because you're charter leaders and you do know, find this funny, I called the School Board Association. And I was like, hey, can you tell me how we can join? And the gal was like, she, she all but laughed at me. And I was like, I'm confused. And like, she's like, oh, you're serious. I'm going to have to get back to you. And that's what she did. She like got off the phone. She's like, I'm going to, to get back to you. And then she had to call me back and say, I'm sorry, you can't join. I said, I'm very confused. Why not? I'm a school, right? We have a board. You're a board association. And um, and unfortunately, we still have a void. in. And I think um, organizations like the association, like the coalition, they're trying to fill those voids. But if you try to, as a charter leader, find best practice policy on stuff, it's really difficult, right? Like you're just sort of floating out there. And um, so I had to lean into other resources, but that was my first taste of, well, what do you mean they don't like us? I I just couldn't understand that. I thought we were all educated kids and all boats, you know, kind of rose and fall together. And that was clearly not the issue. Um, I think that has gotten better. I think you see things like instead of having a charter conference and a traditional conference that you see things like the aim conference, which is, that's great. It almost gives us some legitimacy, but it is it is frustrating when you're a leader and you're just sort of floating out there. That's why you know when you're going to hear me talking about networking, it's so important because to find a network of other charter school leaders, which is why you're plugged into what Tom is offering, is so important because you can say, hey, Jennifer, do you have a policy on X? Do you have experience with Y? And you're not necessarily going to, and I'm sure Tom and his staff could really help, but I think it's also amongst your peers. So um, that has been life-changing for, for us. And um, so, yeah, so my first year at Charter was that. And um, and so then as in my second year there, I stepped into the head of school role. Um, and so for the last 12 years, that's that's what I've, I've been doing. And um, it was, um, I was very fortunate um, in that when I first got there, the board president um, who stepped into that role said to me, our board's a mess. Our board's a mess. We're having board meetings that are four hours long. Um, We are talking about things that we shouldn't be involved in. And so I got very fortunate in that I stepped into somebody who wanted to lead a change. And I had had some um, good experiences um, in Wisconsin because I had been an educator there and an academic leader for about 17 years prior. So I was like, okay, I've done a bunch of boards there. And so that was a perfect marriage of, hey, we're we want to see change and we want to see, you know, getting our board out of operations and into governance, right? And that's a great first question if you're if you're a charter leader is are you talking about the things that that really, truly matter to what is going to change stuff? um and and when I first got there, I heard stories about board members who, we go talk to teachers directly, teachers who would come to the board, you know, all this unbalance. And it was very unhealthy as an organization. And so that, that board head of school relationship is absolutely critical. It is absolutely what you know. You they hired you, you hire everybody else, right? And if there's ever an imbalance, and i had to check my board members, and I've had wonderful board members. But they're also parents. They're all parents. Every one of my board members is a parent at my school. And so they will they will do things like I've had them call up a coach and be like, I'm calling you as a parent. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's one hat that never comes off your head. Until you leave the board, like you, you want to say, "I put that hat down and put on another one." But to the coach, to the teacher, that is the hat you always wear. So you, you don't get the possibility. Your wife or your husband can call on your behalf, but it can't be you because of that. And even then, it's going to still be problematic. And I, I, ask that you do it in a, in a certain way. Um, so we spent a lot of time um, in the, probably my first two years of head of school of really looking at what is best practice my board this was this was great my board broke open meeting laws every single meeting every single meeting they would start with a closed session that they didn't announce that they didn't they didn't have the reason didn't hit any of the statutes and they would have a pre-meeting before the meeting to then say and then they all knew how they were going to vote and then they'd have a real meeting and I was like you can't do that and they're like, and and you know what? Back to being parents, they didn't know, right? Like they were like, "What do you mean we can't do that?" And I'm like, mm-hmm, "You are just breaking all kinds of laws, but um, and so you know, and and they wanted to do the right thing, right? They wanted to do the right thing. They didn't know. Um, probably the biggest one, and don't raise your hand because that would be telling on yourself, and more importantly, probably get yourself in trouble. But probably the biggest thing, because I I have done a lot of board development now since coming to to North Carolina too. Um, well, kind of formally, informally, and the other thing I see a lot is this founder syndrome, right? Like people who won't leave, like so. That's that's another another problem because, and they again mean well, but what they don't understand is they're not letting the organization grow and change. I did not have that problem. Um, I had the other like breaking all the laws problem, um, but but it was um, it's really important. And I would, you know, and I'm sure that's something you guys as a as a leaders group will continue to talk about this. How do you make sure that your board is in a healthy culture of governance? Because if that that's kind of the top, right? Like you'd like to think, you know, that I'm the top, but I'm not. If the board doesn't enable me to do that, or they're undermining the operational things that you have to do, you're you're in big trouble. And so um that's the first place I would tell any school leader is to really um take a look at that. And some of the things that we have in place, and you can kind of weigh and say, okay, do we have these in place? We have a board expectation policy. It talks about how many meetings they'll make. It talks about the trainings they'll go through. It talks about their philanthropic giving to the school. It talks about, um, you know, basically conflict of interest. It lays out everything that helps them to be, this is our board expectation policy. And so that's a guiding document for them that they they clearly can look at and and understand, this is what is expected of me as a board member. Um, We have a very strong onboarding process because that's one of the problems that I have is I have a nine member board. They're on um, three-year terms, they can renew, but we're basically losing three board members every year. So literally, a third of your board, you're losing culture every time. And I will say this is still something that I struggle with, is um, the institutional knowledge. Because, and I'll give you just an example that I'm going through. We made a case several years ago about um, my school has 2,200, uh, 2,210 for students. We're hoping to add an elementary, um, so we'll be another 375 students. And, but there's a vision for that, right? And we had laid out that whole vision a couple of years before COVID and then COVID and everything else, you know, everything stopped in COVID, correct? And so um, then i had board roll up and I was like, oh shoot, I have half my board that doesn't understand why we're about to purchase land for an elementary or, you know, they have to vote on spending literally, you know, almost $2 million and they don't understand what... What the vision for that is and that's not fair to them and so I that's one of the things that I've kind of put on my my to-do bucket of I can't trust that they're just going to pick up on periphery that if you really want a strong board how you onboard them and get them up to speed about what the culture of the board is um, how do you deal with open comments how do you deal if there's a hearing how how do we set what the vision is because That'd be terrible for me as a leader if they've set the strategic vision, but then all of a sudden it waffles because you have new members and they're like, well, we're not that passionate about that anymore, right? So um, we have to talk to them about what the process is. Um, My board also does a self-evaluation every year, which is super fun. (laughs) <laughs> to watch them evaluate themselves, right? And we have designed it in certain areas of, and we found out through that self-evaluation that some of our board members really felt like they were not in the know. Um, and you know, you think that they are, and they're sitting there, and you're like, being complacent and quiet doesn't mean you actually understand it, right? And so they're like, we don't, you know, we just don't understand why some of these things are happening. We're not going to cause waves. And I'm like, well, that's terrible, like. You know, and and some of that had to do with my um, board chair and vice chair coming into a process of like, okay, they define their roles better. The vice chair will make sure that when important things are done, these things happen, the the chair will do these. So then defining those roles. And you think that that because, you know, people know what a chair, vice chair, treasurer, and secretary is, that they know what that is. They really don't. And you really have to help them with that. And um, moving through how to best, um, support them so that they can support you, right? Because I'm going to take things to them and trust, and they have to be able to do that. So um, how do we set vision at LNC? So as, as Tom said, um, and it, it's really interesting because I, I'm i going to mention these because I think as leaders, your board wants to hear that, community wants to hear that, and it's not the things crazy enough. I mean, it's important to me, but it's not as important as you might think some of the other things that I'll talk about. So um, we're a US World News and Report recognized school. We've gotten a gold rating from them the last seven years. Um, we're one of the few schools in the state that got an A this year, which was not easy to do in the pandemic, right? Um, and some of our my very trusted, high-performing peers struggled with that because there was a lot going on during that time period. Um, we, you know, as Tom said, niche.com, great schools. Um, You know, we've we've had good accolades. Our AP scores are super high, all of that. And you're like, well, what are they doing over there? Although I do say this about Raleigh Charter a lot. Like I look at their like they know what they're doing. Um, But the answer to that is we don't focus on that. We don't focus on those things. And you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But the truth is we really don't. We focus on the vision first and we support that vision and the rest of that all follows. So it's it's not trying you know and I not to pick on some of our local school districts but I know they try to teach to the test right you know here's the EOC and EOG and we're going to spend the whole last month of school doing EO, EOC and EOG prep it doesn't work and it's not what your kids need because it, that's we want them to be critical thinkers we want them to be good leaders we want them to be servants in their community and if those things fall into place and they're done properly. Then, then the rest follows, and um, and that there's not well. And then I would say the other thing is we allow, we hire really good people, and we get the heck out of their way, right? So you know, I if you think about um, I, probably most of you were teachers or were educators. Not everybody in the charter school space was, but I taught very differently. So I taught in a large suburban high school. There were two other biology teachers I taught. We strictly taught biology because that's how big we were. And I taught very differently than my colleagues. And that's okay, right? As long as you're hitting the same standards, there's, you know, as my grandpa used to say, more than one way to skin a cat, right? Um, but you just have to get out of people's way and give them the support needed so that they can have the tools and collaboration and do things that that are gonna systematically allow them to, to do best practice together. So we really do try to do that with our with our teachers. Um, so as a school, our mission is we learn lead and serve. And I was telling Peter a little bit about this when I first got to charter it was L big L for learn and lead and serve were like maybe the little asterisks, like Like it really, I was like, well how are we different than any other school when it comes to leadership? And the true answer, I mean, I heard a lot of different skirting around, but the true answer was we weren't. We were just like the schools up and down. I mean, no different. And and that's okay if that's not your mission. If that's literally your mission and you're not living in, that's a problem. Same with service. So, Um, And that took years, you guys, for me to be able to work with my staff to get a legitimate leadership program where it's measurable, where there's outcomes, where every kid understands that you're not the captain of the football team, but to lead, you have to lead yourself first, and you find your passions, and then there's a great outcome. That took years of of trying to get there. Same with service. Every kid now has to have um, a certain amount of service hours for their diploma at Lake Norman Charter. So now I can really say, how do you live your mission? I can tell you very easily. Um, And if you looked it up on our website, it'd be very quick and you'd be like, oh, okay, we really do leave your mission. And we were still being very successful because people didn't care. They just wanted a good learning experience. And so we had to explain to our parents, no, we really do have a mission. And each of you have a mission, right? So that's always a fun question is like, are you really living your mission? And when you say that, compare yourself then to the traditional schools next to you, right? Would you would you agree that you're actually living your mission to its full authenticity? So that was our first thing, was that. Um, then we went through um, strategic uh, planning, and we do that annually. Um, we get data from our students. You know, we say we have all our stakeholders, right? We have our admin, we have our teachers, we have our parents. We have our students and we have our board. And we get stake, we get feedback from all of those stakeholder groups um, to help us to set our vision. And so um, and then we identify a couple of strategic areas of focus. Currently, um, we focus on what we call idea, which is um, inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. Um, I don't know about your schools, but my school has become much, much more diverse in every sense of the word. Uh, socioeconomic, neurodiverse, uh, culturally diverse, racially diverse, Um, uh, our EC population has exploded, and yet we're able to hold our scores, right? Like if we're using that as a measure, it doesn't matter that we had our ESL population. We currently serve over 80 different dialects and languages in our school, and we're still able to get where we need. People are like, whoa, And that's again, putting first things first, right? You know, the old Covey saying, putting first things first. Um, So that's where our emphasis, and we have a subcommittee that talks about how do we best support all of this new diversity that's coming in our school. Um, There's a board member on there. There's admin that's on there. There's a representative from each of our levels of the school. If it's appropriate, we have students that are members of that. I would never discount your students. They really know where it's at, right? They'll challenge stuff. Um, so for for that that focus, um, and we put our money where our mouth is, we do a lot of training around that. So our staff knows that whatever our strategic areas are, we're going to spend time doing that and learning about that. So right now, um, this upcoming Monday, we're going to be having training where they're talking about culturally responsive um, and different, uh, teaching and differentiation, right? And you think, well, we talk about that all the time not in the lens of having all of those different things. We needed, we needed to go a little bit deeper. And the staff understood that because the board set the vision and then we implement the vision. And it's again, the board recognizes that while they're a part of that discussion, that it, at some point, it becomes operational and they have to let us do that. Um, the other thing that we said as strategic areas is we're doing a thing called Thrive. Um, and that's all in capital letters. And it stands for a bunch of words that I'm not going to tell you, but it really is whole child. Um, That really we're trying to meet every child where they're at. And as we recognize that kids are more and more diverse, um, we need to figure out how are we giving them the best possible experience so that they walk out of there. I mean, how many kids do you know that have gone to college and either flunk out, change their major, go on a different path? Ideally, we're going to have less of those kids happen, right? Like we're trying to make sure that every kid is seen feels a sense of belonging, and has some type of exposure. So we're going to be trying some kind of radical things of engaging our parent population to give those exposure. Um, Because we can't be all things to everybody, right? We're little. And so we can't be all things to everybody, but we can look at how we can serve every child to the best of our ability. So those are our two areas of focus. We've had as many as four areas of focus at any given time. Um, but my board meets in an annual retreat every uh, every April to review what our yearly goals were, see if we still need that strategic area, and see if we need to add another one. So there's a very process-oriented thing. If you don't have a strategic process, it's really important to go through that. Because otherwise, you just kind of get stuck in status quo, right? How are we being responsive? How are we measuring and doing what we need to? And, and then I help to set some other vision. Um, which in this case happens to be about school expansion. Um, And anybody who talks to me for any moment of time will hear me talk about this elementary school because I just see, I know where my retirement is, I know the path, and I want to set up the school in the best possible way before I retire and say, here. And I I have a pretty good vision of what I think that would look like to set it up for success. Um, And, you know, and then so I'm always looking at where do I see sort of the stuff that you see day to day, like operational weaknesses, right? Um, so before I go on to building a team, any questions about that? I feel like I'm just rambling. Okay. I hope there's some nuggets there. Um, yes.
1: Uh, so this is what I heard, guiding principles, right? So priority in our role, and then you gotta focus on the mission and the vision first. Yes. Yeah. Where are we going?
2: Why do we? It's so important. And how long did it take you to maybe get there to a point like? Yeah. So first we had to fix the board. I mean, yeah. and 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 again, that wasn't me unilaterally being like, my board's messed up. I was very fortunate again to have somebody who was wanting to go along that. But I would say the the board, um, getting them strong and getting them into that that right headspace and best practices probably took a good two to three years of building and pouring into them. And at that same time is when we started the strategic planning process, because that's part of what they do, right? They're over finances, they're over setting that vision and they're over supervising me, right? So um, it took about three years to get a good process in place. And then when it comes to strategic vision, you guys, the other thing is I hate, 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 hate. When I was um, in Wisconsin, it was very normal to come up with a strategic plan Put it in this great three-ring binder, maybe put some stars on it and then put it on the shelf, and then you flush it off, and you're like, Did we do any of this? Like, I don't know what we did with this. And so um I was determined and through meeting some really good other people. Um, Tom, I work with another consultant by the name of Brian Boone, and um again, board um willingness to take that. A strategic plan is something that's lived day in and day out. My I have, as I told you, I have members of my staff at every level, and they report out in every faculty meeting. It, it never dies. The, this, the, the teachers are never surprised at what we're doing in those committees, what we're working, because that's the other thing. You ever have teachers feel like things are being done to them? You know, I want them to be active leaders in our community. I want them to feel like, and once we get this process up and going, what I think the fun um, byproduct was is I would have teachers come to me and have a very strong belief of shared leadership because they had voices in these committees and actual action and so they would come with other ideas that I wonder if they would not have come with but it's kind of like we opened the door to say, yeah, we want your input we want to hear what you say. So um, so anyway, back to the shared leadership it took it took about three years to get to that point and then we got into this piece of actually getting some very high functioning, um, processes in place so that we could make sure that the work we were doing was actually having impact. And then coming back to it yearly, make sure that you're not saying, did we do this or not? Because what we would generally do is set three to five-year goals. So for both of the two things I told you about, we have we have the three to five-year goals, and then we have annual goals that are inching us towards those. And then we break them out into subcommittees too. So it's, it's all about structure, and it's all about making sure that people have voice and buy-in into that process.
1: In my seconds. seconds, you talk about your process and in including board members.
2: So, um, you know, it's really interesting. So my, and every, this is what I love about charters. Every board does this a little bit differently, right? Um, so my board, um, they have a nominating committee. They select their own, they're all parents. Um, and um, I do encourage folks, because you know, you'll look at your board And you'll say, okay, I need a finance person. I need a a legal person. I need somebody with, when we were talking whole child, we wanted somebody with a developmentally, like developmental psych kind of situation, right? And um, so when you know, and we're smart, if you guys don't do this, when we do our handbook signature every year, we actually ask every parent what they do, because then when I'm looking for a developmental psychologist or a finance person or a lawyer, I can be like, tell me who all the lawyers are. And then you look for the ones, and we all have them. We have those parents that are superstars that have been very positive contributors. And then you have the ones that are not. And they're actually the opposite of positive contributors. Because the last thing you want is somebody driving an agenda on your board, right? Because you already, that is a waste of time. And I will say, because I've built trust, and, and that's the benefit. Tom pointed out that a lot of charter leaders have not been in the field for a long time. But when you are, you build some trust capital. And so what my board, even though it's, I'm not on the selection committee, they let me see all the applicants. And I'm like, eh, no, <laughs> that would be a, let me save you. Um, that person's gonna talk a good game, but it's gonna be a problem, right? And they trust that. And um, so then what we do is we put out applicants to, app, we allow any person to step forward and put an application. And sometimes they're not selected right away, but they did such a great job. they we. You back to them and say, "Okay, but hey, we'd love to have you come in." So I do. I don't do as much recruiting as you might think, um, but I do get the ability to to say, "Hey, I don't think there's some positivity there," and I usually will share with my building principals too, just because sometimes I might not deal with some of those situations. Um, but there definitely are some where I'm going to go out and say, "You should really think about it," fine. and it makes all the difference when you can have that positive contributor. Okay. Any others? So building a team, I have 13 administrators. So I don't know how many, so I'm one of 14 on my administrative team. Um, I have a principal and assistant principal at all three of my buildings, facilities, finance. Um, I just added, and I'm super excited about this and it was a stretch, but I just added a director of academics. And um, and that's where putting your money where your mouth is, right, is if we're going to talk about whole child and you're going to talk about um, equity issues, how do I know, one of the things I suspect, and I, I now pretty much have the data, is not all of our students are accessing upper level curriculum the way others are. We were finding a deficit in certain populations of our students, and we're like, that makes no sense. I mean, they're having the same foundational experience, and then they hit a spot where we accelerate math or APs are available. So, I mean, it stands to reason that 25% of your population is X and then about 25 of your population should be in some of these classes, right? And that we weren't seeing it. And so um, I have, uh, MTSS has been a bugger, right? If you're gonna do it with fidelity. Um, so she's in charge of that, but she's really more in charge of really looking at how are we differentiating? How are we giving, um, you know, common planning time, common assessment? What support do the to the students um, or the teachers need to be able to differentiate within the classroom? So um, that was that was a new a new part. But thirteen people, I I found that I've had to spend a lot of time building them as a team. And I'll tell you guys, one of my biggest failings in the last thirteen years is I had one of my leaders who is a pretty capable person um, but at some point I didn't recognize how they needed to be um, valued in the organization and it went sideways. And and that it became a conflict for about a year and to the point where I actually almost thought about leaving the organization. Like I'm like, this is just not worth doing. And it really, it, it took some pulling up Again, as my grandma said, I had to pull my pants way up on that one to stay, because um, it was just, I, I'm like, I can lead somewhere else. I don't want to deal with this conflict. It's not fun. And as I reflect back on that, that person behaved poorly, but more importantly, I don't think I saw where they were at. And so, um, you know, as we've expanded um, my leadership team, one of the things I looked for is I want a diverse leadership team. And when I say diverse, again, every sense of the word. Um, If you have everybody who is, and and Tom, Tom came at one point and did an assessment for us, he did the disk assessment. And like eight at that time, I think we had 10 administrators and like seven of 10 or 8 of 10 all were big deep. We're all like, (laughs) what do you do with that? And the problem with that is, is that you get into group thing, right? Is that I'm like I think we should do this. And they're like yeah, and they're you know, and and there's like three other people that are like you know, do you really right? And and so you don't think about neurodiversity when you're hiring people, right? You may be thinking about other diversity, you know, do I you know, men and women and different backgrounds and different cultural and you know, racial makeup that makes up your student body, but you got to think about that neurodiversity too. And that's another thing I feel like was a growth area for me was. I make sure that when we're in meetings, when there are 13 people, there's a couple people that are always the loudest in the room. They're always the loudest. And there's some that have really great ideas. And you have to literally be like, so, what do you think? And like, oh, this is what I think. But if you don't make space for that, then it doesn't happen. And so it was really intentional when I was looking to hire people. One, you want to spread this big net. Two, you got to convince them to come to a charter school. And three, then you need to make sure that how do they fit with the team but still bring something a little bit different. So um, I've been very fortunate. And then I do a ton of team building. Um, So as an example, um, we did a book study last year that was in line with the strategic area. And it was all about uh, microaggressions within schools. And that was hard because I have, um, it, you have people that it, it became a trust thing, right? Like, can I share as a Black administrator how I sometimes feel about this and how our students sometimes feel? And can some of our staff members, you know, our other admin take that and have conversation? So book study was great. I always do a lot of team building things with them. Um, and I think, you know, I'll have them do things where I'll ask them just random icebreaker questions at the beginning of a meeting. And then, they're like, oh, I didn't know that about you. Like because people are always people. They they still have to have a relationship, right? And especially when then it gets hard. If you actually like the person and you care about the person and then things get hard, that's that's a whole lot better. Um, and then they leave better. So currently our book study is we we still have um, some folks that are very similarly focused. and so we're doing the five of um, uh, five languages of appreciation and then the, yeah, which by the way, they listen to part of your podcast. yeah. So I used part of that to to do that, and it's really interesting. I've been watching them really be self reflective, um, but it took a bit for us to get used to this idea of let's talk this through. And you know, during the pandemic, I don't know about you guys, but during the pandemic, we were trying to like you're trying to do anything for your staff, right? So we were, you know, here's coffee and a mug, and here's a this, and here's a that, and here's a t-shirt, and it was always like, well, why why is that not resonating? Time to podcast to tell you real quick. Because very few people in the teaching profession, that's not their love language. So it, you know, it would be you keep giving them things, and you're, and I just kept getting ticked off, like I'm spending all this money and effort to do this, and they're not enjoying it. Like what the heck? And it was because it was something else. And um, it's really fun, um, not to pick on the guys in the room, but I I keep trying to talk to them about how important personalized notes are, and. And literally to the point of I'm like here's some tags that you're going to you know write out it's got to be personal it can't be like welcome back it's got to be like oh I'm so happy because you bring this to our team right but that's the growth experience for all of us and that's what's cool about building a strong team and they've been very open to having that conversation because they really we do have a shared vision and that's probably the number one thing is when you're picking and building a team you got to be thinking about I bet you, you don't think about that, but that's the first thing. Like when you're doing your questions and things, you should be thinking to yourself, what are the things that I really, really most value in people? And what are the vision for them to be able to lead in my organization? Because, you know, there's a lot of, we, we interviewed, so because of um, my one person moved into this director of academics, we had a, a building principalship open at the middle school level. And um, we had a lot of great applicants. I mean, and I'll, I'll tell you what, some people can polish up really,
1: really good,
2: but they're not the right fit for your organization, right? You really have to think about that process. And some of the things that I started out doing as a head of school to pick people are not really the best way. Um, so, you know, if you ever want to, if you ever have an opening and want to talk about some of the things that we figured out, um, that was, it was good. It was good to, to really think about how is the interview process. And I'll tell you, in my interview process, thing if you value stakeholders you bring in stakeholders to I had a student I had parents I had teachers I had other administrators you you had complete buy-in because you can't say that you value that and not let like them. So how are we doing on time Tom? okay so, I, well, I know but I, want to be, I want to be sensitive to to those to those guys mm-hmm. and the things you have to do. so um so pandemic boy that was terrible. <laughs> yeah it was it was really awful i mean and that's why you've seen a lot of people hang it up like they just you know and i we lost really good teachers honestly we just it was it was a lot and it was um it was really hard and i think some people one of the things they've asked is how were you successful during the pandemic right so i'll tell you one of the things was from a strategic area we had set up really good processes around how to best deliver online instruction prior to the pandemic. It was part of when we went one-to-one. We would do, we used to call them e-learning days, and now call them remote learning days. So we had already taught the teachers. We had already put the structure in place. We had a, a, um, a learning management system that they were comfortable in. And so when it came time to flip for the pandemic, I think we were in a much better place than some of the other schools. So that gets back to why is strategic planning so important. Had we not had that, I don't, I don't know, because it was still hard enough. I mean, we were still trying to figure out, and every school did it different. I'm like, do they have to do so many days of direct instruction? Do the cameras have to be on? Does it, you know, how are you assessing kids? Like all of that, and um, it was, it was really rough. But I think because of some of the foundational stuff we had. Even the teachers that really struggled with um, mental health, and we did things like pour into mental health for them. Um, We did an activity at the beginning of the year um, that talked around basically crisis management around mental health and trying to help our teachers. That was our, at the beginning of the pandemic year, that was what we we spent time on with them to just help them to understand, yeah, this is kind of awful, and we see that it's awful. Um, When it came time to design how we were going to deliver instruction, I brought together, I think our committee was like, I think maybe 11 or 12 of my staff members. I looked for the key staff members who were valued in all of their buildings. We met underneath with this giant canopy. We met all six feet plus apart, big whiteboard I rolled out, and we had to develop a plan, probably like you guys had to develop a plan. But did you develop yourself? Did you do it just with your admin team, or did you... Have teachers buy in? Because when we had to make decisions about stuff, if other teachers were like, "Why did you do that?" it would be like, "Because this group of you know teachers helped us to determine what was best practice, and it was even how much instruction would be delivered and what that looked like, how we would phase from full remote to um, hybrid." So. um it's I think that teacher leadership is super important. And if you live it every day, then you know you still can have people. Because people, I always say if I could have a t-shirt, mine would say people are on trip. Because whether it's a parent, whether it's a staff member, it's you never can know what to expect. And like people are on trip. Like you just don't know. Um, but I think overall culturally, it was really important for us to do that. And we were able to then carry that in. And that's where we I think moving into year two. Um, we were able to let them take some leaps of faith that I think some other schools struggled to get the teachers to leave because, you know, as we all know, it wasn't just about a pandemic. They went from heroes to zeros, right? And that stakes. Like you did not go into teaching to be for fame and fortune. And you certainly didn't become a charter school teacher for fame and fortune. So just recognizing that we really were thoughtful about how we were communicating with our community, um, we didn't see that with our our LNC community. Our parents remained very supportive. And while they saw a lot of that nonsense out here, um and it was hard. actually, our teachers, some of them really bought into that because they were on social media so much more like, yeah, but what about here? and And once we could kind of get them refocused it, it was good. So, um you know, one of the other things, and i I'm sure you guys are thinking about this is teacher retention. Right. And so we lost them during the pandemic. We didn't lose any teacher to another school. If anybody left, it was due to retirement or they left the profession. And, um, and I hated it because there were some really good ones that, that left, but we didn't lose them to any school. Um, we still lost them. And you know, there's teacher shortage, right? Um, and so we've been spending, you know, when I talked about some of the other vision things we've been spending time on, one of the things we've been spending a lot of time on is teacher retention. What can we do at different levels? Basically, what I say to them is, being a teacher is really hard, but I want you to not wanna go anywhere else, but right here to teach. So what can we do? And um, we look at every possible thing we think we can do. But well, one of the things that I started this year that has paid off in spades um, is a school leadership team. And you're gonna say to yourself, oh, we have one of those. This is all teachers. 100%. I got three representatives from each of my three buildings. And my whole thing was, you bring any concerns you have. What's going on? Culturally, what can we do? And you know what? It was hard to, like that first meeting was hard to hear. Because I, yeah, it's just hard. Because they were honest. We said, OK, um, I have a staff member who does deliberative dialogue. And so she worked, she facilitated for that. And basically walked us through a process. And I found out we had some issues. We had consistency issues between our three buildings. We had communication issues. And um, so we had to really, it's hard to look in the mirror. Like that was that was a big move. <laughs> I didn't want to look at it. Um, and 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 then I had to be the one that delivered, and then I was the admin rep because I was kind of the most, you know, most of the stuff was at the building level, and I'm responsible for the whole thing, but. It was okay. So, but I had to take it back to my principals. I was like, well, they say you're not being consistent and blah, blah, blah. This is what's happening. Um, and and they were good. They really took it and they were able to take it and we were able to do some things. But one of the things that was great about that is not only did they name the problem, but guess what I did? We said to the nine teachers, okay, what's the solution? What, what do you want to see to make that better? And we came up with some things and I was like, we can do those things. And so um, we're that started in last spring. I feel like we kind of hit the low-hanging fruit. We're gonna be digging in a little bit more, but I really wanted to think about like what what things could we be doing for you? And I'm I'm challenging them. I'm like, go talk to every other teacher you can find out there and see what they're doing at their school where you're like, oh, at Corby and they're doing this. I think it's great. Cool. Let's find out what's happening and see if we can bring it here because obviously you want to keep your best teachers. So um so that. It, it's a you got to have some tough skin, but if you're willing to do it, it's been really good, and it became a very solution-oriented situation, and I think it really will, in the end, pay off for us to be able to, to do something. And you know it's kind of funny? They ended up policing their own a little bit, which was, so there were some things that, this is going to sound crazy, but all because you're teacher leaders, you'll understand this. Our PTO runs our lunch program. And if kids are gone or absent or forget to pick up their lunch, it goes into the into the staff rooms. Well, every teacher who had say fourth or fifth hour prep, depending on what building, got first dibs on the lunches. And the rest of the teachers were tipped. And did I know that was a problem? No, I didn't know that was. I'm like, really? Bad pizza and some bad Chinese, but all right. Like you know And it was, it was a problem. And you know what? We said, okay, what's the solution? And they're like, they shouldn't be able to pick up do it after school and they can have it for their lunch tomorrow. And we're like, okay. So we put big old pink signs that said, don't touch this refrigerator until after 3 p.m. Problem solved, which sounds like a silly thing, but it was actually super bothersome to, And it came up in all three buildings. I'm like, this is a thing, right? And that's the thing I think when you're like, I feel like I function up here a lot and it's so you forget that those are the and it's like death by a thousand cuts. Like that's the one thing they're like, I'm a lunch, you know. So we really tried to. That's just an example, but there were a bunch of those examples of little things of like we just don't feel like some things are clear. So they wanted to do uh basically, you know, on your in your car, you have a big owner's manual, and then there's a quick start guide. They wanted a quick start guide for a handbook for the most important stuff because they felt like there was inconsistencies, and we're like, okay. So I paid them a stipend, three of them over the summer, to develop the the handbook of the things they felt needed clarification. I got a chance to show it to the admin team and clean it up and hand it out. And it was all the stuff that was already in the handbook. But now, whenever there's something they can refer to that as a quick guide. I would have never thought about that, nor would I have had time to do that. So it's those weird little things that have come out of that that I thought were kind of crazy. So anyway, last thing that I have on my list is how do you grow as a leader? And I think sometimes people go to conferences and they go to bigger things and, you know, you obviously read stuff and all of that's really important, right? Um, But I really think the networking and you guys, I feel like I'm pitching the fire because you're actually here. So you're networking and you're already doing that. And it's super important. Um, I also think it's important to network within your region. So you guys have kind of two levels, right? Um, you have this larger group that you're currently in, but then to to build a, a leader group that's sort of within you because you really, it is very helpful. I, I can't tell you how many times my small leadership group has said, hey, did you see we have to turn in that report by Friday? And I'm like, you know, that's really helped. So I think if, and it's hard because if you're geographically isolated, that means a little bit harder. But I think now one of the good things that came out of pandemic is, you can network in a whole different way. So um, so I, I really encourage you to do that and to reach out. And when you hit things, it can be very isolating being a charter leader, right? Because you're not, especially when you're at our levels, because you're not gonna necessarily, you know, some of the things you're struggling with, you you can't talk to people within your organization, right? So it's really good if you can reach out to those folks and certainly happy to, to, to help in, in any way possible with that. So any other questions? I
1: feel like I'm talking to you guys. Sorry. So, your school leadership team that's made of your teachers, mm-hmm. did you appoint them? No, called? I let them.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I put out a survey to, I let them pick their peers. I let them pick their peers. And it's interesting because um, two of the three buildings picked really positive people. And then um, one of my buildings picked a couple of folks that I think had a little bit of an agenda. But because this is back to structurally, how do you set things up? I wasn't the one leading the meeting. I had a facilitator. And so that person led it to a positive place. So I feel like two of the, there was a group of three that came from that building. Two of them I think were trying to drive a point. And because you had a good facilitator, they they walked out of there not being able to drive that agenda. And then actually in turn said, Oh, and got kind of behind them, the movement. So it's it's really about structurally, it's the same with strategic plan. Like if you don't set that process up right, it's gonna fail. And then you're gonna be like, man, I tried and that stunk. So it's really important that you lean into those folks to, to figure that out. So I, that's how that was successful is that I had somebody who could drive that in a good way. Yeah, I just love that you're
1: solving problems as close to the problem as possible, Yeah. right? You did that from a board level, you did it from your own leadership at level, and then you went down so okay, you guys gotta kind of solve this. You know, right. and that's that's because I just, I wrote down um, Hungry Humble Scot. So if anybody's read the yeah, ideal skate player, that's one showing these things. I just think about how humble you had to be one to like and your and advocate. How did you make it safe to be like, hey, we're gonna take a week in here and we're gonna
2: that you gotta move out let's honest so Yeah, ego. ego is tough. and honestly, sometimes good leaders we we sort of have big egos, right? because you know you're you're having to leave and be in front of big groups and you have to be able to stand your own. Um, I really think some of so we had done that process first in a smaller group and then I think that made it right then to have the opportunity. I also had data. So um, a good example is, is, I told you, we do surveys with our staff, with our parents, and with our students now. We just started students, so that's a new layer. But but the reason I say that is because data is data. Like, you talk to an educator, you're like, is data important? And they're like, yes, data is really important. And you'd be like, okay, and the culture in your building says 55% of them think you right. have a bad culture. And like, you know, what do you do with that? You're like, don't. You know, and... Um, yeah, it's, it, and that was hard. And I think um I always say to the, you know, no blame, no shame. I I don't, I don't care how we got here. It's simply we've identified a problem. We need to figure out what we're going to be able to do with that. And, and oftentimes it's not just that person, right? Like it's not just the building principle or whatever. There's usually several things that are at play. So if you can kind of look at that and say, okay, you know, try not to make it personal, but to say what can we do to, to get there. And it it was, it was, a, it can be very humbling. um, and, and some of it's still a little bit of work in progress, but I, I feel like um they've been pretty open to that. Yeah, I think for when you
1: said my like board, too, that was, hum- that was a humble, I don't know if you realize that, but, wait, but that's a humbling comment. Like, right? I'm not in charge of this place. They are open, they're my supervisor. So I think that's where we really struggle is this this you know relationship. Well, they don't know any, you know, know anything about education because they're just so important like, but they're like, the professionals in the world. Create a structure, guiding principles, focus on the mission, right? Hire really great people, set goals, and keep growing. That's still the five different ways. Right? But it's, it was so clear because it was like a structural piece. You know, we well, got to build a foundation us, so otherwise. You don't have anything to build on. Yeah, because culture is going to be division. I can put the best plan in place, but right. nobody's actually abiding by the rules here. It's just
2: it's Right. And I think that's why I say start by looking at your board, right? And if you see those pieces, then, then trying to figure out how do you build capacity for them to be willing to, to grow. And it's going to be very different depending on what the dynamics are in different boards. And quite honestly, some schools will not be ultimately as successful as they can. Tom and I have talked about other schools that they just can't, you can't get beyond that foundational piece.
1: Yeah. Just uh, love language of educators. Help me as someone that works with educators with How can I be viable and pay attention to their love language?
2: Yeah. So, right. So and and I hate to say that because like donuts might not be your thing, you know, that's an easy yeah. Um, but but you know, that that's not actually true. there's not an educator that doesn't help donuts. I mean, so let I me mean, just be clear, you're good. Um, but I think you know what what I figured out um in reading that book, and I'm and we're still in the middle of it, is this idea. If you're familiar with the love language, it's it's you know. Is it, get, you know, some people like acts of service, some people like um, words of affirmation, some people like gifts, some people like um, personal time, and then the touch one, I haven't gotten to the chapter on touch, so I don't know what you do with people in an education. Okay, don't touch them. Don't touch them. Okay, well, that's good, because I was like, I'm not, although I did say, I would, so because we got an A, I thought this would be really cool. I'm going to try to find something in every love language and reward my staff member. Like, and it was funny, you know what I came up with for touch was chair massages. I was like, okay, well, if you like to be touched, it's not going to be by me, but somebody professional. Right. And, you know, buy lunch for gifts, you know, schedule time to talk to people, like all of those kinds of things. So <clears throat> I think it, and the other thing is, is what I what I thought is fascinating about the book is that there's different dialects. So words of affirmation. It depends on what you have to kind of dig a little bit deeper. It can't be always one thing. So my takeaway is we're going to just try to be multifaceted in what we're what we're doing and recognizing that that some people don't care if you say you're doing a good job. They're like in their mind they're doing a good job, but what they would like is you know that some type of recognition in a different way. So it's it's just trying to recognize and we know this. People are very diverse. And I I think if we stop, if you really know your staff and you talk to them, um, which doesn't necessarily help you as somebody who's coming in, but as the people you serve, right? Because if you're coming to meet with me and you're coming to meet with Jennifer, you know, what I probably want and what Jennifer probably want, I mean, we both want really good um, advice and services for our staff, but you know, the way you're gonna approach it is going to be different for that. And it's the, it's the same for, our staff and just recognizing that. And I think that's where this SLT group has really helped us because they recognize that. They know that that there are different buildings, you know, are going to be different. And and if anybody who teaches in a K-12 knows, what you do with an elementary person and what you do with a high school person are completely different. Yeah, they're very different. If you don't recognize that, they'll eat you alive. So it's always, that's always. Hey
1: Peter. You because you sat down with me and you said, "How are you doing?" Oh, that was that was good, So mm-hmm.
2: I was just gonna comment some on the board, you know. Just recently, um, you know, we didn't have an attorney on our board, and I knew this great parents, known them forever. They've had two. Well, one kid graduated last year, the second was graduating this year, and they have a kindergarten coming next. And I thought, well, I'm going to call them and they'll run because we have parent elections. Yeah. So I called him. Well, He's a great board member. You know, we want to call him. We don't have an attorney. He said, okay. he said, I don't have time to do this, but I will do it for you. Ah, and the relationship. Like he ran. He ran. And he won, and after the uh, election was over, he came to the next school meeting, he said, just remember, I did this for you, he said, I remember when I saw you at the ballroom, and I told you my wife was pregnant, and we were asking you, once our kids graduate, will our daughter be able mm-hmm. to come to the school? And you said, I'll, "I'm pretty sure it's a yes, but I'll call you in the morning with the details." And he said, "You called me first thing the next." Month. That's awesome. Yeah, and you know the something like that. It's funny because my attorney also was. It was one of the ones that I actually did recruit. Same sort of thing. Mergers and acquisitions. Super busy, but. Has been a great voice and reason in a couple of things you know like i don't need you to be the most active board member but i need your expertise and so and he too very strangely has a college graduate all the way down to an elementary student so that's kind of <laughs> but i did notice you know this past year we had the most parents ever run for those schools I mean, it was crazy. And I think I had six for middle school. And- was that because they're excited to be a part of the or Is that because because of all the yeah. See, there were a couple that were really good, and then there were others, and I was like, oh my gosh, I hate they don't But like, you know, it was the meet you know the first old were was recorded. Yeah. Sent it out to all the parents. That then it a Google Doc the next day, and the great people. Yeah. And then we identify the modes that we think would be good on the committee. And work out. that's a really good suggestion to you guys, is that if you identify people, when you do strategic planning and you have committees, it's a great way to plug them in and actually see how they're going to help. So I didn't think about that, but that's a really good suggestion. And that's actually in our Bible, but mm-hmm. it is preferred
1: to do that ahead
2: of time. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's a good suggestion.
1: What
2: do you read now besides uh, the love languages? Um, that's pretty much what I'm reading. That's pretty much what I'm reading now because I do actually like to recreationally read too. So I'm I like so I do one of each at any given point. So that's what I'm in the middle of. Anybody else have a question for Shannon? It's an honor to spend time with you guys. If there's ever anything questions or you know you just want some bounce something off, please do.
1: Yeah, stay up here. Thanks. Thank. Can we give a yeah, round of applause for Shannon, yeah. and I will be really So there was one more thing that I didn't mention earlier. So the other way, when Shannon told me she was from Wisconsin, I'm a Bears fan. She's a Packers fan. And if you know anything about the Packers, they are champions, and they were. They had the best coach of all time, which is with the and Super Bowl team. trophies named after Vince. Uh, he was a scientist when it came to football. And I was thinking, scientists, when it comes to charter school, their know, strategy. So thank you so much, Shannon. And one day, Aaron Rodgers will finally retire, and maybe <laughs> the Bears will be able to win, win one of these seasons. Uh, and and hopefully, you'll say, hey, congratulations, Tom, you finally got one out of out of all these
0: decades. Hey, got- thanks for listening to our podcast, everybody. I just want to take another thirty seconds of your time. You may not know, but I just wrote a book, and I want to give it to you because you're one of our loyal listeners. Uh, This book is the 10 Indicators of High-Performing Charter Schools, and this book is based upon my almost 20 years now of charter school leadership experience and school leadership experience and research, and it's got great best practices and resources that I've learned from the best school leaders across the globe, and I want to put it in your hands. So here's all you need to do. Go to our website at lbleaders.com, lbleaders.com. And at the very top you're going to see a green bar go ahead and click on that bar and you can just put your email address in there and the book will be in your hands in a matter of seconds now once you get the book there's an assessment we have created this assessment for you for you to take a look at your school because remember the leader's first job is to identify the current reality so this is going to be a great assessment for you to take based upon the 10 indicators and then you'll immediately get a response you'll get your score and you'll get um, an opportunity for you to to put your score on a great visual so you can sit with your team and talk about hey where where do we need to improve okay so all those things are free to you because of you being a member of our uh, principal office podcast. So go to the website lbleaders.com, click on the link to get your copy of our latest book. Thanks, everybody. Have a great
1: day.